This is episode 387 of the Prepper Website Podcast, where I connect you with resources that will help you live a more self-reliant life so you can love your people, get prepared, and live free. Today's article, The Ultimate Guide to Using the Whole Carcass. Hey, I'm Todd Sepulveda, the editor of PrepperWebsite.com. This podcast is an audible version with some commentary of articles that have been posted on Prepper Website, a daily curation of preparedness information. These articles are some of the best of the best that have been recently posted on PrepperWebsite.com. All article links and show information can be found on the PrepperWebsitePodcast.com. Hey everyone, this episode is sponsored by Legacy Foods. If you're looking for some quality long-term food storage that you can grab very quickly if you need to leave your home, then Legacy Foods not only tastes great, gives you a big bang for your buck, but uh, you know, it comes in buckets so you can easily grab it. Uh, I am an affiliate for it, but I also believe in the product. So if you'd like some more information, I have a link in the show notes. All right, so one last thing before I get started into this cool article that I'm going to read for you today. Um, if you are interested in providing a little bit of feedback for me so that I can uh, focus content on the podcast and on Prepper Website, then uh, there is a survey in the show notes that you can click on. And uh, you can go over there, and it's an eight-question survey. And uh, once you submit it, you do get a link to download an ebook that is called Prep Tips That Pay Off Big. And so uh, you'll just click on that link and download it. It's a PDF. But uh, there's been a lot of uh, you know, submissions already, and I really do appreciate it. Uh, it'll really help me out to focus content for Prepper Website. All right, so let's go ahead and jump into this article. It comes to us from BackdoorSurvival.com, and the article is entitled The Ultimate Guide to Using the Whole Carcass. You know, right now we we go, you know, people go hunting, and you, you're pretty much going for the meat. But when we think about what they did in the old days, they used a lot of the uh, the animal, right? And so when you think about what the American Indians did and uh, how they used a lot of it. I know that there's been videos before in the past where, uh, you know, where I've seen uh, people, you know, bushcraft and I think like Dave Canterbury uh, use some of the, um, the the things like the tendons and stuff like that from uh, from the animal. It's just very interesting. And so uh, this this article will give you a little bit of insight into all of that. You know, because if we ever got to a point where, you know, that was it, you know, you want to use as much, you don't want anything to go to waste. And uh, I guess that's the, the main point of this article is how you can use the whole animal, uh, whatever, you know, whatever that animal is, you can use the whole animal for a lot of different uh, reasons and nothing goes to waste. So let's go ahead and jump right in. We're not used to cooking the whole animal these days. Even if you wanted to buy many of the undesirable parts of an animal, you'd struggle to find them in most grocery stores. Those of us who raise and hunt our own animals frequently pass the carcass off to professional butchers who may make use of the least appealing bits for us, sending the rest back in neatly packaged bundles. But in an SHTF situation, when your butcher is not around and the grocery store is not open, you may turn to hunting, trapping, fishing, and butchering your own animals for the first time. What do you do with the hide, bones, organs, fat, even the blood of the animal? You can use each to help extend your survival in an SHTF situation. Here are the smartest ways to use the whole animal when your survival is on the line. So number one is blood. 
When dispatching the polite word for killing as quickly and plain, painlessly as possible, the first thing you'll generate is blood. You can collect that blood in a bucket, normally just to keep from making a mess. But blood is obviously rich in nutrients and has some other interesting advantages you can leverage for your survival. As bait, dressing an animal in the field near your traps is a well-known trick to generate more animal activity around your traps or hunting grounds, particularly more predator activity. Pouring some blood into the water where you're fishing will help you catch predator fish as well. Beef blood is often made into a gel and used to bait catfish, simply by refrigerating the blood in a, in a pan. I've heard salt and sugar can also toughen the blood, but you'd hardly want to use either precious resource to catch fish in a survival situation. My suggestion is to use cornstarch instead. What about blood meal? You can also incorporate your animal's nutrients back into your garden soil by making blood meal. Arguably, it's the best fertilizer you can make, especially at home, bringing a ton of nitrogen into your soil. You need to dry the blood as quickly as possible while also applying a little heat as possible. Those in humid conditions may find this to be a challenge. A solar dryer is an excellent way to make blood meal that doesn't require any electricity. Once dried, you have to scrape off and grind up the blood meal into a powder before you apply it to your soil. So what about edible organs? After you've cut all of the meat off of your carcass, you'll have a handful of edible organs, the heart, the liver, the kidney, the tongue, the lungs, and more. Well, you can eat them. You can, of course, eat the organs by themselves. However, most people find this unpalatable, and being unfamiliar with cooking with them, you'll probably find it hard to make them into appetizing dishes. You could learn to cook with them. I suggest you start with Awful Good Cooking from the Heart with Guts by Consentio and Turkel if you want. And there's a link here that you can uh, click on. The authors even walk you through how to cook the heads and brains of some animals and all kinds of unusual parts of lamb, duck, beef, and pork. If you know a butcher or could build a relationship with one, learning to cook with organ meats can even save you a pretty penny before SHTF. For instructions on how to cook the organs of the game animals, I'd recommend Hank Shaw's book, especially Buck, Buck, Moose, Duck, Duck, Goose, and Pheasant, Quail, Cottontail. In each book, Shaw details butchering, cooking with the conventional parts of the animal, and dealing with the other edible bits. You can go with a broth or sausage. You can make organ meat more palatable by using it with other meat. When making broth, especially bone broth, tossing in a few organs can add nutrients without adding too much odd flavor. Sausage is another great trick because the meats used are mixed up finely. No single bite tastes like liver. Hank Shaw's Buck Buck Moose goes over sausage production. You can feed it to your animals. If you have chickens, pigs, dogs, or cats, you'll find that they will happily eat most organs you offer them. I'd cook the organs to prevent the spread of disease or parasites, which is a problem you don't want to have in a survival situation. But if you're sure of the health of your meat, you can offer them raw. Number three, what about the fat? Suet is the word for the unprocessed fat taken directly from an animal's carcass. Leaf suet, the fat surrounding the kidneys, is the highest quality because it is the purest with the least muscle and connective tissue in it. You can cook with it. While processing fat, 
makes it easier to work with, it will not be the end of the world if you use fat directly from the animal in your cooking so long as it is fresh. Rendering the fat into tallow will make it last longer because there is no meat or connective tissues which spoil faster. But if SHTF and you have fresh fat, just cook with it. You can render it into tallow or lard. If you have more fat than you can use right away, rendering it will help preserve it and make it suitable for a variety of other uses. Whether it is called tallow or lard after rendering depends on the animal it came from. So how to render fat. Step 1. Cut away all of the muscle and connective tissues you can. This will be easier when the fat is cool. Step 2. Break and remove the thin transparent membranes that covers the fat wherever you find it. Step 3. Slowly heat the fat in a pan, being very careful not to burn it. The wet method or using a double boiler to melt the fat makes it easier to avoid burns. Step 4. Remove any chunks of meat that rise to the top. Step 5. When completely liquid, strain. Step 6. Place in a container of your choice and allow to cool and solidify. Step 7. To store, try to keep cool and in a sealed, light-proof container. Now that you have rendered fat, you can cook with it, using it in place of butter and oil in any recipes you're familiar with. You'll get a different texture, of course, but it'll be edible enough for a survival situation. And if you fancy learning about cooking with lard or tallow, I suggest picking up fat and appreciation of a misunderstood ingredient with recipes by Jennifer McLagan. So there's a link here as well. Or you could use the rendered fat to make all sorts of useful things that you'll need if you don't have electricity. The two most useful items for preppers are doubtlessly candles and soaps. But you can also use rendered fat to treat leather, metal, and string, sometimes imbuing lubrication or weatherproof qualities depending on the type of fat. The best, apparently, bear grease, but I haven't tried it. All right, so let's talk about the sinew. Sinew are the tendons or connective tissue that hold muscle and bones together. The best sinew is on the legs and back of animals. It's often the equivalent of your Achilles tendon. You can throw some sinew in a pot when making stock, but it adds little and you'd miss out on its best use as cordage. So making cord out of sinew is a simple primitive process you can easily accomplish after SHTF. Step 1. Remove the sinew from the carcass. Step 2. Remove all muscle from it. Step 3. Allow it to dry, hang, or lay it out in a dry sunny spot. Step 4. Once dry, beat it with a stone or more sophisticated tool if you have it. It will part into small cords. And Step 5. Use the cord as is or braid many together for extra strength or length. Okay, so next is the hide or the skin. You can use an animal skin and fur in many ways, essentially in any way that you would use cloth. To do so, you have to tan the hide. You can use chemical mixtures to accomplish this, but you may find yourself without them in an SHTF. In that case, you can use the natural method, tanning hides with brains. Every animal has enough brain to tan its hide, but you may find you run out of brain solution when you're less practiced. All the more reason to practice or stock up on tanning chemicals. So tanning the natural way is very labor intensive. So there's like um, nine steps here. Step one, 
Remove the hide from the carcass, of course. Then scrape off all of the fat, muscle, and membrane you can using a sharp knife. You can also make fleshing beams from wood. Step 2. If you wish to remove the hairs, you need to soak the pelt in an acid environment. You can make one from urine, wood ash, or ground seashells to make slaked lime or modern chemicals. If you don't have any of that and don't want to deal with urine, you can soak it in plain water, but removing the hair will be much harder. Step 3. After soaking, usually for at least a day, unless you're using modern chemicals, they're faster, you need to scrape off the fur. Any hair you don't remove will become tough and ruin that bit of the hide. Step 4. Scrape some more. Be sure to remove the first layer of skin under where the fur was and the thin mucous membrane from the other side of the pelt. Step 5. Allow the pelt to dry for a bit. To speed this up, you can wring it out, but do it gently. Step 6. Combine the animal's brains and about an equal amount of water in a stew pot. Heat it and stir or mash until the brain is liquid. Step 7. Either soak the hide in the brain solution or, if you didn't remove the hair, apply the brain solution to the flesh side of the pelt. Massage the pelt to work in the brain juices and their natural emulsifier. If you didn't remove the hair, apply the brain solution a few times. Step 8. Stretch the pelt, preferably by tying it against a wooden frame. Try to apply the tension as evenly as possible and get the pelt as large as possible. You can also stretch the pelt by hand if you have the time or don't have a suitable frame, but it's likely will not turn out as nicely. And step nine, allow to dry or put the pelt in a smoker or just apply smoke, which helps the hide last longer. What about using the tail? Many animal tails, especially rabbit and deer tails, have traditional uses. You can make a fishing lure out of pieces of tail, use the tail to pollinate plants, or, of course, as an adornment on clothing. <laughs> All right, there you go. Here's, a, here's a, uh, a rabbit tail, dear. Put that on your clothes. All right, <laughs> number six is the bones, right? The bones of animals have precious nutrients, and while you can eat them as is, you can extract those nutrients. So cook bones for stock. Take a few large bones and put them in a stew pot. Add 16 cups of water, veggies, herbs, salt, and maybe some organs and cook. Vinegar helps extract the most from the bones. After 8 to 10 hours, you have bone stock. You can always add more water if you make it too thick. Or supplement for your animals. Bones are a valuable supplement because they contain calcium. And the animal that needs calcium the most is our farmyard chickens. Now, it can be illegal to feed bone meal to chickens, mostly in Europe, because authorities worry about bone meal from beef spreading diseases to chickens. It's only a problem because of the scale of our food supply, and some consider that it may not be a problem at all, so long as it's not more than 5% of your chicken's diet and is provided separately from grit. Either way, there's no one to stop you if SHTF. Of course, a dog will also take bones, and chewing them will help keep the dog's teeth clean, but the bone must be raw. If cooked, it will break into small shards from the pressure of the dog's chewing and potentially rip up their digestive tract. You can use them for supplements for the garden. You can also use bone meal in the garden. In particular, the heavy feeders like tomatoes will appreciate the phosphorus bone meal supplies. In order to make bone meal, you must dry out the bones, generally by placing them in the oven at high temperatures for a few hours. 
If a dog or soup pot has cleaned off the bones first, that's ideal. Otherwise, after the meat and marrow is cooked and loosened, you can remove it yourself and then put the bones back in to become brittle. Once brittle, crush the bones with the mortar and pestle or your food processor carefully. Now you've got bone meal. Remember, only animals that need grit can eat bone meal. All right, so um, of course you won't have your food processor if the poop has hit the fan and the grit is down. All right, so what are you going to do with the head? We've already mentioned a few ways you can use the head, including scooping out the brains for tanning, but there are some other ways. So that's food. I know it may take some getting used to, but you can make head cheese, soup stock, and other dishes out of animal heads. My favorite head cheese recipe comes from Odd Bits, How to Cook the Rest of the Animal by Jennifer McLagan. It's my favorite in that I'll make it for my grandfather, whose own grandmother used to make it for the family. Be warned, it is not cheese. It is like meat gelatin. Whether you're adventurous enough to try head cheese or not, McLagan's book also covers some other often wasted parts of the animal, including cheeks, hocks, combs, and testicles. You can use it as animal treats. Dogs and pigs will eat various parts of the head. Dogs especially love dried ears and combs. (laughs) All right, how about that one? All right, number eight. What about the antlers, the hooves, and the feathers? These parts of the animals are often used for decorative purposes, but there is some practical use you could try out too. So carved antler. Antler can be carved into knife handles, fish hooks, buttons, cutlery, instruments, and much more. Feathers. Feathers have storied uses in pillows and blankets, but may also be used to fletch arrows or write with ink. And then is dog treats. It's always my first instinct to give my dog the unsavory bits of the animal, and antlers and hooves make good chew toys, so long as they are large, fresh, and you take them away before they get too run down. Also, note that some dogs will break their teeth on antlers, so use your own judgment to gauge if this is right for your dog. Alright, so what about the inedible organs? Bladders and intestines, though rarely eaten, have very unique uses as storage containers. Many cultures ate bladder and intestine, usually as a sausage casing, as it doesn't offer much nutrition. It is quite risky in terms of disease, though. I would never recommend you eat it, at least not without thoroughly cleaning and then boiling it. Yes, if you are practiced, it can be safe, but odds are you're not, and this is an SHTF situation, not a great time to take a risk. What about storage? Bladders and intestines were used as water and airtight storage for everything from water to paints. I would recommend you use it for inedible storage. What about the urine or urine as a scent? If you save the urine from the animal, you can use it as a cover or bait scent when you're hunting and trapping. Have you tried any of these uses for overlooked bits of the animal? Would you in an SHTF situation? All right, so one of the comments, there's only a couple of comments here, but one of them was, look, if you if some of this stuff is hard to master, and so if you've never done it before, you need to really start doing it now, right? And uh, of course, you know, if you ever were in a situation where it was an SHTF situation, one of the things people always say is, of course, all the animals are going to disappear because right now we have laws that regulate when you can hunt and, and all that kind of stuff. But if it was a true SHTF situation, um, you know, everybody would go out to the woods to, to get something to hunt and, and uh, to bring back uh, for food. Now, that could possibly be the case if we had a slow 
spiraled down, right? But if whatever happened was a very fast, quick thing that kind of killed off a lot of people. So I like think about a pandemic, right? So if a pandemic uh, just wiped, went through the, the United States or went through the world and just wiped out a bunch of people, those that kind of hunkered down and waited for the for everything to die down and to, and to calm down, well, then, you know, they would get out there and start living and, and things would be kind of crazy. Um, but there'd probably be more animals that you could hunt. And, of course, if you were deep, deep into the forest, um, you know, I'm, I'm assuming animals, I mean, they're pretty smart. They're going to be running away from people that are trying to kill them. They're going to be moving deeper and deeper into the forest. So if you are deep in there, well, then you have the ability to, uh, you know, to have more access to animals that way. And then if you are an expert hunter and trapper, well, then, you know, you have that ability as well. So, uh, you know, one of the things here uh, that they said in the comments, you know, those that are are, are used to, you know, uh, hunting with where you set out a feeder or whatever and hunting, that's not real hunting. And so if it was an SHTF situation, yeah, you wouldn't have feeders around because, you know, you just wouldn't be able to go get corn and add them to your feeders and all that kind of stuff. So you would be responsible for stocking, you know, stocking and, and, and hunting and, and that kind of stuff. So anyway, very interesting here. Uh, I love that she gave more resources that you can look up. Now, those resources are in the form of a book. But if that's something that you're interested in, that's definitely, you, you know, something that you can check out. Now, there are a lot of resources online of books that are out of print and uh, they're not published anymore and like really, really old books like 1700s, 1800s. And you can find uh, a lot of those. I mean, if you're a member of my email list, I sent out an email a while back on a a survivor uh, library that had a lot of that kind of stuff in it. And so you can get a lot of information there as well. You know, how people in the 1800s, early 1900s, how they did things and how they, uh, you know, they, they, some of these lost skills, I mean, you know, we call them lost skills that, uh, that a lot of people don't use anymore, but that they used back then. It was just common knowledge. People knew how to do all these kinds of things. People knew how to tan hides. I mean, that was just something you did. I mean, you didn't waste a, a hide from an animal. You don't, you used it for something, you know, very valuable. And of course, all the other things, right. That, uh, that you can do with it. So yeah, if you find yourself at the end of the world and uh, you are able to hunt and trap and you get an animal, you definitely want to use the whole animal. And so hopefully this article will spawn uh, maybe uh, you know some ideas out there, maybe some more research. And maybe if you have the ability to uh, test some of these things out, you can test it out. You know, uh, Definitely you can do that. For instance, if you have backyard rabbits, and uh, you you do that. I mean, some people raise rabbits just for the meat, but you could practice tanning uh, and and those types of things and uh, see how you know good you get at it. So anyway, that's a that's a thought. I think article articles like this are great because they uh, bring to mind uh, a lot of uses, a lot of things that we don't always think about. So I appreciate articles like this uh, coming from Backdoor Survival. And like always, guys, I'm going to link to it in the show notes so you can go. There's a, a lot of links that you can click on uh, when you come visit this uh, this site. And, and, and also there are pictures and things like that that uh, you can benefit from. All right, everyone, that is it for episode 387 and another week of podcast episodes in the books. Hey, don't forget to subscribe to the show. Head on over to the Prepper website, podcast.com. That way you never miss another episode of Sweet Prepper Goodness. 
Hey, and if you find yourself this weekend looking and desiring to, to look into more preparedness content, you can come on over to PrepperWebsite.com and you'll find a host of articles there. We post 24-7 over there and a lot of articles that I can never get to on the podcast because there's just so many of them. And so, uh, you know, investing yourself a little bit, investing your, your knowledge and your preparedness, survival, homesteading knowledge, gardening knowledge, bushcrafting, alternative news. There's just so many good things over there at Prepper website. You can uh, definitely benefit from it. So, uh, you know, there's a link in the show notes that can get you over there very, very quickly. And don't forget to take a moment to connect with me. I'd love for you to connect with me on the Facebook group and any of the other social medias uh, before they all get taken away from uh, preppers, survivalists, patriots, conservatives, whatever we want to call ourselves. (laughs) We can connect until then, right? And then after that, we can connect on the Prepper website forum. (laughs) And with that, choose to live a more self-reliant life. Choose not to be so dependent on the government, grid, or the grind. Until next week, stay prepped and aware. Peace.